And now I want to invite Dan Hale, director of growth at Kraken, to the stage, and he's going to talk about Bitcoin as a revolution. All right. So it feels pretty amazing to be back in my home state of Texas, the country of Texas, the great nation of Texas. This is Bitcoin country, and it feels like it out here. Um, today, I'm talking about a topic that's really near and dear to me. It's um, about how Bitcoin is a revolution and the role that hodlers, all of us, play in that revolution. Um, I, a lot of people haven't heard my origin story of, of when I started to write. I only started writing about Bitcoin and like pod, you know, and getting on podcasts and talking about it on YouTube three years ago. It's when Naval Ravikant said that hodlers were free riders. And I was very insulted by that statement. I felt that that was a very big misconception over the role that hodlers played in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so that's when I wrote my first article, Hodlers of the Revolutionaries. And so this is, this is that topic on how Bitcoin's a revolution and the role that hodlers play. Is my mic having an echo, or is it just me? Okay. I'll try that. Is that better? I don't know. Well, we'll go with that. So the stage is set. Uh, with Bitcoin, before Bitcoin came around, we had the 2008 financial crisis. A huge amount of corruption, structural issues, and central bank manipulation had led to this moment. And uh, so this quote from Satoshi I, I really, really love, and he says, the root problem with conventional currency is all the trust that's required to make it work. The central bank must be trusted not to debase the currency, but history of fiat currencies is full of, of that trust. Banks must be trusted to hold our money and transfer it electronically, but they lend it out in waves of credit bubbles with barely a fraction in reserve. When we look at... Let's see. Does clicker work? Okay. Um, I love these two quotes because folks in the existing financial system have seen that the financial system itself is the, re you know, the central bank manipulation is the reason for the issues of the financial system. So Henry Paulson, former U.S. Treasury Secretary, I believe the root cause of every financial crisis, the root cause is flawed government policies. Alan Greenspan, former chairman of the Federal Reserve, in the absence of the gold standard, there's no way to protect savings from confiscation through inflation. There's no safe store of value. So this is a really cool chart from a report by Deutsche Bank. Jim Reed at Deutsche Bank wrote a report called the Long-Term Asset Management Study. They looked at all recorded financial history. So they went back 800 years. And when we look at all recorded financial history, this is a chart of deflation or inflation. And we see the moment when the Fed was created and the moment of the central banks engaging in money printing operations and seeing inflation over 800 years, what we've seen in the last 100 years is unprecedented. We have never seen this in all recorded human financial history. And when we look at the, the early 1900s, since then we've seen financial crises increase uh, before they didn't happen as frequently. And when we look at Bank of England, um, you know, when we look at uh, England with their debt as a percentage of GDP, and again, this chart was made before COVID, so these charts would look insane if uh, we were to do it, update it for 2021. But I mean, look at this chart. We were talking hundreds of years. We've never seen debt as a percentage of GDP in the UK, and the UK is one of the largest economies in the world. We've never seen it at this level. And at the same time, 
the rate on these bonds are hitting all-time lows, which is insane because the risk has never been higher to hold different treasuries or different sovereign debt. And we see this not just in England or in the US, we see it all across the board. Um, here's G7 10-year uh, government bond yields um, hitting absolute rock bottom, and this is over 200 years. We are truly in an un, you know, unprecedented time period. Another chart as well showing like uh, debt to GDP ratios of the G7 uh, countries uh, and their yield. We are truly in a, on a journey into the unknown. And with fiat or with Bitcoin, uh, so with fiat, you know, it continually loses value. And this is a chart of the purchasing power of the dollar over time. And as you can see, uh, fiat continually loses value. That's it's. When people talk about stable coins, what they really mean is you have a, per, you have a coin that just loses 2% a year or 5% a year. So Satoshi saw all this happening. Satoshi saw this massive corruption going on. He saw these central banks engaging in unprecedented money printing. And so he looks at this and invents Bitcoin. Bitcoin he identifies as the solution to this problem. Satoshi planted Bitcoin in the middle of the 2008 financial crisis. In fact, he had been working on it over a year and a half before. And he waited till the right moment to plant the seed of Bitcoin. A lot of people go, oh, he just published the white paper randomly. No, he published the white paper. Literally, if you do a Google search and look for uh, like financial crisis or other terms for like a financial crisis, it, they all peak October 2008. That was the moment of peak despair in the markets. Lehman Brothers had just collapsed. Um, there, there were bank executives calling their wives and telling them to get all their money they could out of the bank in cash because they thought the world was going to end. That's when Satoshi planted Bitcoin. He planted it as an antidote to bad central banking policy. And he publishes the white paper on October 31st, 2008. And that date, I think, is semi-important. Like, certainly the year he chose to plant Bitcoin, you know, it was probably good timing there, more of like random luck timing. But the month and the day, we certainly could say he might have chose those, um, especially because he registers Bitcoin.org in, um, in August 2008. So he has, he has everything ready to go. October 31st is important for two reasons. Uh, one, it's Halloween, which its origins are Samhain. And I'm mispronouncing that for those Irish folks out there. I've been corrected a few times, but with my Texas accent, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Samhain is the origin of Halloween, and what it represents is the uh, end and beginning of cycles. Bitcoin represents the end of the old system and the beginning of a new one, a new financial system. And as well, we've got, um, it was the day that Martin Luther nailed his 99 theses, or his, I forget, 39 theses on the church door. And 99? 95. Theses on the church door. And so that date represents kind of the end of this old, um, you know, religious system and the beginning of a new one. So I think Satoshi chose that date very intentionally. And this is important because it represents how revolutionary Bitcoin is. Bitcoin isn't this payment mechanism. Bitcoin isn't this cheaper, faster digital payment. It's a fucking revolution. I mean, this, this is like, this is meant to disrupt exist, the existing financial system, the government, and central banks. And so when Satoshi published Bitcoin, he sent it to this cryptographer, cryptographer email list which was comprised of the cypherpunks. Cypherpunks are folks like you see here, Adam Back, Hal Finney, Wei Dai, Nick Szabo. Many, many more were on this list. And what I think is so interesting is that he, he, he's got this revolution that he needs to start. He needs people to start to believe in this new money. And so he talks to the group that would be the most interested in it. 
the cypherpunks were the ones who had precursors to Bitcoin. Wei Dai with B Money, Hal Finney with, uh, uh, let's see, no, it was Adam back with Hashcash, and Hal Finney with uh, a reusable proof of work. So these are all the people who might be most interested in it. These are his initial, his initial tribe to get the revolution going. What's funny is that Satoshi actually thought he was late to the revolution. And so he goes, a lot of people automatically dismiss e-currency as a lost cause because of all the companies that failed since the 1990s. He's referring to a couple folks who had tried this earlier. I hope it's obvious it was only the centrally controlled nature of those systems that doomed them. I think this is the first time we're trying a decentralized, non-trust-based system. And so Satoshi, to, to get this initial group going, he uses words like um, electronic cash, proof of work. These are other terminologies that these cypherpunks used. And so he's trying to get the revolution going. He's getting this initial group started. And these are the folks that he worked with to do that. I believe this has a video. Let me see if. I'm not sure if it's rendering. Are you guys seeing it? Oh, it's gone. Okay, I can't see it over here. So, Bitcoin was a was built on the on the foundation of many other innovations. These other cypherpunks built other technologies before it. So, this obviously was the perfect group for him to get the initial buy-in and belief about Bitcoin, buy-in and, and and grow Bitcoin. So. Pierre's got a really great quote here. If the white paper is the Declaration of Independence, the source code is the Constitution. Um, Satoshi himself said, the functional details are not included in the white paper, but the source code is coming soon. For example, uh, the 21 million hard cap, 10 minute blocks, and one megabyte block caps were not in the white paper. You know, so the white paper is kind of this revolutionary marketing document to the cypherpunks, and then he publishes the code as the cypherpunks say, cypherpunks write code, and that code is where you know the, the revolution truly begins because people can run the software and start to begin to use Bitcoin. I like this GIF from uh, Mr. Robot, for those who are a fan of the show. Bitcoin plays a core element in there. Um, this is Elliot Anderson, the, the cypherpunk, who uh, <laughs> did some revolutionary acts in that show, so I felt like this is very applicable to kind of fit Satoshi's vibe. Um, Satoshi was this really cool character. Uh, he understood that with a revolution like this, you're challenging central banks and governments. You couldn't be known. And I think his foresight in seeing that and staying an, uh, pseudonymous was a brilliant move. Um, it also allows us all to project who we want him, him to be. It's like a, like a book. When you read a book, in a book, you, you build this whole story in your head of what the characters look like versus a movie. And that's what Satoshi did by having this kind of blank canvas, which is the ultimate way to have a leader for a decentralized system is to have a leader no one knew and then eventually to go away, which I think is core to how Bitcoin and its revolution uh, is it's core to it working, is not having that leader. You can't have a decentralized system with a leader because that'll always be a weak point. So what role do the hollers play in Bitcoin? So I love this quote from Mark Twain. In the beginning of a change, the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned. When his cause succeeds, the timid join, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. So Satoshi architected a way to incentivize the early hodlers to become believers in this new money. And that was the issuance schedule of Bitcoin. So the issuance schedule is how the new Bitcoin are produced. More Bitcoin are produced in the beginning than later. Which means that if you got in earlier, that was a good, you were able to be rewarded for your belief in this new revolution. Um, 
Satoshi, and this is where some of his insight into how he built this came true, uh, is, is, is uh, shown. Um, Satoshi said, in this sense, it's more typical of a precious metal. Instead of the supply changing to keep the value the same, the supply is predetermined and the value changes. As the number of users grow, the value per coin increases. It has the potential for a positive feedback loop. As users increase, the value goes up, which could attract more users to take advantage of the, of the increasing value. Satoshi had a brilliant way to get his hodlers into this revolution, which was Bitcoin's price speculation. And Satoshi, Satoshi wrote this before Bitcoin is worth a penny. He hypothesized that these big bull runs, these bubbles, would be the way that new people became aware of Bitcoin. Um, and they would you know, come for the speculation, but stay for the sound money and stay for the revolution. Hodling is this really important element of how Bitcoin grows. If we didn't hodl, Bitcoin would go to zero, and there'd be no belief, there'd be no floor, there'd be no, there'd be no conference like this. Hodling not only improves Bitcoin's price, which if, if we hodl and the price goes up, more people become aware of it and more people keep coming into Bitcoin, but as well, hodling also increases um, the block reward, which increases the security of Bitcoin. It increases the amount of developers that are funded, which means the Bitcoin core code can be improved and tweaked. It also means there's more funding for companies, and it means that there's more and more products and services that people can use to interact with Bitcoin. So Satoshi's viral loop that he built, his idea that speculation would drive more and more hodlers into Bitcoin, this was a brilliant maneuver to create this revolution. How do you incentivize people to come and get into it? So hodling is this interesting journey. I'm sure we all have our own unique story. And look, no one's a perfect hodler. I, I day traded back in the early days and did that very poorly. And that's when I learned how to hodl. So it's, it's a long journey. It's temptation to sell, temptation to trade. There's so many different ways you can lose your Bitcoin. Um, hodling is really this hero's journey of, of in introspection and self-discovery of like first realizing, um, okay, I've gotten an orange pill, but I've started to question the nature of my government and my government's relation to money. And then I examine my like spending habits. And then you start to examine your like self-custody and fully trusting yourself with something to where you are only, like you're responsible for your money and you're the only one responsible for it. So there's a lot of like uh, physical uh, or mental um, development that occurs here as a hodler. Hodling changes you. It changes you into this very fiercely independent and um, you know, self-sufficient individual. It's, it's a transformation and that's where hodling is this hero's journey on this, on this path for Bitcoin to be a revolution. And as we see with Bitcoin's issuance schedule, so that's um, the inflation rate is in blue and the dotted lines are the halvings and then we've got the corresponding bull run peaks. Um, as we all have noticed over the years, with the decrease in supply, demand stays the same, price starts to climb up, and then we have another speculative wave. It's these uh, viral loops that have driven Bitcoin's adoption. And um, the longer that Bitcoin, that Bitcoin's price stays higher and the longer that we all believe in it, you know, the Lindy effect of it continuing to perpetuate and exist means that Bitcoin's um, long-term success becomes higher and higher. So the fact like when I got into Bitcoin, this would be like the entire, like this room would be like, the, like everyone I possibly met in the space back in 2013. So Bitcoin through these speculative loops, through this revolution, through this awakening of people getting orange pilled, you know, this is why Bitcoin succeeds. It's all of us. Uh, Bitcoin would not be around if, it's, if it wasn't for the hodlers, if it wasn't for the believers in it. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is worth zero in code. It only it's only worth something because we all believe that it's worth something. And so the hodlers are the revolutionaries that power this, this movement. So 
Bitcoin, as I, as I just mentioned, isn't really a technological breakthrough. It's more of a social one. It's more of this belief system and culture behind this new money rather than the code, because anyone can copy Bitcoin's code and create a new coin, and there's been thousands of other coins. But it's the community and the hodlers behind Bitcoin that really power this revolution. Bitcoin promises an alternative... Uh, promises an alternative for citizens across the world to keep their money in a, in a, to keep their savings in a form of money that can neither be confiscated nor diluted. If Bitcoin grows much larger, it may force governments to become a voluntary organization. Through hodling, we finally become free. Those who opt into Bitcoin are trading something abundant for something scarce, trading the past for the future, and trading financial dependence for financial sovereignty. And I'll, I'll leave the end of the presentation with this quote from Nikola Tesla. Let the future tell the truth and evaluate each one according to his work and accomplishments. The present is theirs. The future, for which I have really worked, is mine. So thanks to all the hodlers. Thank you to all in this room. I'll play a huge part of this. <laughs>